welcome to GuestCast. Tune in and listen as we speak to global education experts about the latest trends, challenges and stories that matter. Hello and welcome to another GuestCast episode. We're delighted to be joined by Linda Parsons, Digital Lead at DERA International School. Linda is very well known in the edtech scene in the UAE and region as a whole and speaks regularly at guest events. She also contributes with fantastic articles to guest talks. Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. How have you been and how's the academic year been for you now that we reached the last term and nearing the end? Oh, yeah. I mean, like term number three um, is is always a time when like, I'm feeling like really reflective on like, you know, what's gone on during the year and like what we can like looking forward, um, what we can achieve like in during next year as well. But it's yeah, it's nice to be at the end of the year. I've got to be honest. Uh, there's been a lot going on this year. Uh, we've had a tremendous couple of years at Deer International and not all the initiatives that we've built up, like we can kind of see it coming into, they're kind of like maturing almost. And like, it's, it's the initial investment of like doing all these like, you know, amazing new things in like year one. This year was year two for us. Um, and we can kind of see it maturing and kind of organically growing. So that's been lovely to see in, in term three and kind of take stock and reflect on like, you know, how well things went. But yeah, this term in particular, like, as you know, like I'm a full-time science teacher and also digital lead. So and I'll talk about digital lead first because I was talking about that just now. Um, it's always like kind of busy because like although we're reflecting, like, we always we always have to like look forward and anticipate what's going to happen next for teachers, students, parents. So as soon as we get those questions hammered in September, we've actually got all the material ready and we're like proactively like doing that instead of just reacting and like you know knee-jerk reactions, which really annoy like the parents and, and the students and the teachers mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, so so we're kind of like making sure those channels of communication are continuing uh, into the summertime. So people feel like supported. Um, and also as a full-time science teacher, I mean, as you know, like assessments this year have not been um, the same as assessments like in, in previous years, pre-COVID. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, like the amount of assessment gathering we have to do. And I was talking to a maths teacher today as well, because I mean, like science and maths are really similar and English as well. The amount of scanning that we have to do and marking and stuff like, and you wouldn't usually expect that in exam classes, because of course, term three is when like you let as teachers, like you have a bit more free time or available time because like your exam classes are gone and yet they're still here. <laughs> We're still exactly. marking all their work. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, although it's been lovely to see like the end of year 11 and IB2 or our year 13, um, they're, they're also kind of, it's nice. I know like we, we do see like, uh, so I'm reflective because it's becoming obvious and kind of what we've done well on my like, teaching them, but also like what we could have done more to kind of prepare our students and our teachers for this assessment period so i don't know next year uh, we'll learn from our mistakes right so yeah absolutely absolutely i'd imagine that you know as an educator and particularly as a digital lead uh, you must have gone through a roller coaster of events and emotions adapting to online and then hybrid learning and there will always mm-hmm. be lessons learned and, and ways to improve for next year just as you said yeah well the thing is like you know in in the last three years uh, for Dera, but not just for Dera. I mean, at my school, I mean, like for, for all schools, like your first year, I guess, was pre-COVID and like you were teaching in this like very kind of established way. And then like the COVID time happened and everyone changed, <laughs> but everyone changed at the same time. So it was good for us because, I mean, it just happened to coincide with like, you know, the, and that kind of wanting to change well, coincided with like everyone changing anyway. 
But this year exactly. it changed again because of like hybrid learning and it's a completely different ball game again. It's just kind of like, look, okay, next year we're going to have to take stock and like, you know, get it better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. And, I, and I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. And having said that, are there any new initiatives or, or projects that you're currently working on? Um, yes. So it's, I'm really keen to talk about them, um, but I guess like it's kind of like stay tuned for like the actual details that like coming out in September. <laughs> like, but um, I've got a real focus at the moment on teacher well-being um, because of all the reasons that we said. Well, not just teacher well-being, student well-being as well, because of all the reasons I just said. Like we've gone through a tremendous change, and like schools kind of always focus on the teaching and learning first because that's our trade, kind of like that's our business, like that's what we know how to do, but. Of course, we're teaching and we're always around like people and you cannot ignore the emotional element of of developing of those people. So, so yes, like, you know, I've, I've got some cool, hopefully, <laughs> like, and, and also more importantly, more tangible um, well-being initiatives that like, you know, we're developing at the moment that's supposed to be going through school. Um, so, you know, if anyone's listening that, you know, would like to give me any ideas on like or, or we would like to share some ideas uh, with uh, with each other then then I'm all ears for that uh, and that's all because like I really strongly believe that new initiatives they need to kind of land in an environment that supports a change transformation and if you're always like pushing teaching and learning and you ignore the people element of it then people will get exhausted um Definitely. so yeah so so that's kind of why I've got the well-being side but but also like you know looking at the digital literacy and and citizenship uh side as well um there's some kind of cool projects that like you know i've been involved in this year uh so we started off like you know developing our student agency that this year by doing big projects like the internet safety day like we got 27 different schools worldwide like from australia all the way to the us wow. and like the kids really enjoyed that so it's a kind of like developing that initiative as well like you know making sure that the students are kind of um at the heart of like organizing and leading those things you know to to kind of build them up so yeah that's, like I, I guess those are my two main initiatives at the moment <laughs> that's that's fantastic and you know i know you always keep yourself very busy with with new initiatives and, and projects and we can't wait to find out more in, in due time of course about your new uh, transformational project once once you're ready to share the details of course yeah, well, that one, that transformational project is something that um, I would definitely share with you, but it would have to be all announced in September. Linda, what do you think uh, is the biggest challenge facing educators at the moment? I know there might be many, but is there any uh, you know, single biggest challenge or, or a couple maybe that, that you can uh, share your opinion on? I, I guess the one that like, is going to encompass all of them like you know when I go through like my daily teaching life and when I speak to other teachers in my school and, and parents and the students and stuff the thing that keeps coming up over and over again is that they're feeling that they're still feeling overwhelmed with the amount of new things that they're expected to kind of pick up um, and it doesn't matter kind of like how much support you know like support can be like tutorials and stuff but essentially the, the, the whole idea of managing cognitive load, I think, is the biggest challenge at the moment, like in our daily lives, like, you know, hour by hour, having to do things like, you know, hybrid learning was completely new to us. It wasn't online learning um, where, you know, you're treating like every, well, every student, you have the expectation that they're all going to be 100% online. Like you, you know that. 
exactly. physical teaching, 100% they're going to be right next to you and there's body language that you can bounce off on and there's communicate like lines of communication that you can bounce off on. Um, and, and managing that, I think, is the biggest challenge and it is mentally exhausting. Like if you're doing it for like, we have eight periods in a day in, in a normal school day. Um, so potentially like, you know, you've got teachers that are logging on and starting off their lessons and having to deal with tech issues and having to do the register. And it's like, oh no, like, you know, you haven't got your microphone working. Let's try and get your microphone working for eight times. <laughs> like, <laughs> every hour on the hour, it can get really like, can get really difficult. Um, and I, I think it's like kind of stressful with students as well, because if you don't have that access to learning, you're going to come into that lesson kind of feeling stressed. You already know that like, you know, it's going to happen. And it's just enabling the teachers, like it's empowering the teachers to, to help the students and empowering the students to help themselves as well. So I guess next year, like, you know, when, when we're thinking about our learning ecosystem, whether it is in digital or, or physical, kind of how can we help to provide solutions that actually lessen that load and are pre- proactive um, so that we're not just adding more things on for the teachers, like, oh, this app's really easy kind of thing. But like, if you're using 15 different apps, it doesn't really make any difference. If they're all easy. You're still using 15 different ones. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, um, so I guess like managing that proactively will, will alleviate a lot of that stress. So get the teachers that are actually teaching and, and communicating realistically with the students. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you, you, you said the word difficult. Uh, I would say it's an understatement really to just say difficult. But uh, what this pandemic has showed is just the resilience, the great resilience of, of educators, uh, not only in our region, but worldwide. Uh, mm-hmm. So salute to all teachers and, and educators uh, everywhere, really. And you pointed out a very important issue that needs to be addressed and, and made a fantastic point as well, which leads us to our next question. What measures schools or educational institutions in general um, can put in place to really help support educators now and going forward, given the change of the education landscape, which everyone foresees will last for a long time or or we could say uh, permanent? Yeah, I mean, like, um, because you're right now, like we've seen this seismic shift in how we see education Um, and teachers have adapted to that, students have adapted to that. But adaptation is only half the way like you know to, to actually thrive in that environment teachers have to essentially feel like um, each of their schools are really listening to them and, and actually like actively supporting them so I would I would think that like next year every school educational institution and so on should have like a, a solid well-being program that goes both ways so I, I mentioned well-being like right, right at the beginning of, of this but when I say well-being I don't mean you know, the, the school, like, you know, just saying like, oh, go to a yoga class or like do some deep breathing. Whilst those are useful um, kind of techniques, they're only techniques. And like that may not actually make that educator feel valued and like make the educator feel listened to. So, you know, like well-being techniques in order to help teachers feel listened to and valued and also like help institutions, not just data collect. Um, I've seen a lot of like, you know, institutions going to, and, and with students as well, like, you know, sending out wellbeing surveys and it's like, well, how do you feel? One out, one, one to 10 out of 10. And like, if someone says two, for instance, you know, like all the alarms go off and it's just like, you know, the, the head teacher or, or your form tutor kind of comes to them and says, oh, what's wrong? And it's like, they're not necessarily like, that is not that's not necessarily helpful you know a, a well-being program ho- hopefully next year like it's going to be better developed in in different schools and, and institutions where that you can give a tailored solution help them like 
you know, for the teachers and for the students, because I, I honestly think it's just kind of the same. Like, you know, as long as the students and the teachers will listen to and they can proactively, like independently access information that um, that can help them, as well as have meaningful conversations on top of that, where it's not just a personal responsibility coming to them, kind of going, oh, are you OK? Like, because that can be quite a superficial conversation. It doesn't really help anyone. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. Um, yeah like then then um i think like you know that kind of emotional independence um would make me, people feel more con- in control in a situation that we're ongoing at the moment where people feel very much out of control so that that would really help them but also like you know things like uh policies so so because um the, the face of assessment has changed, like, you know, the face of teaching and learning has changed, the face of home learning has changed because a lot of the students at the moment are home learning at 100%. So you can't really say homework and schoolwork. It's like, well, it's the same thing for them. <laughs> like, so like really clear policies that really communicate, you know, the school's vision would be so helpful. In particular, like, you know, things like getting the hardware policy. So you're not just saying bring in a device. Okay, so bringing in a device can be anything. And, and, you know, in order to access, truly access learning, to make it so that it's easier for the teachers, so that they're creating content that students, they know they can access, and also make it easier for the students at home and for the parents, like, to know that, you know, their child is being like, you know, that you bought something for your child or your child has got something from the school, whether you can, like, 100% be ensured that they are going to be included in every single activity because their device is up to standard and up to the spec that the teachers expect. Um, that kind of policy will go so far in like, you know, helping the teaching and learning environment and, and the, you know, the, the kind of the stress levels. <laughs> of, agreed. Of and students. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, and you made a great point, uh, you know, initially about the importance of having a comprehensive wellbeing program in schools and, I've said this before, and I'm sure you can attest to that, but a happy teacher is also a productive teacher. And and having said Mm -hmm. that, what do you enjoy most about working in education? What makes you happy when teaching the generation of the future? Oh, you say generation of the future, but it's like, it sounds so scary when you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Or the the current generation. Yeah, well, the thing is, the current generation are going to go into a world, and we've heard this so many times, but like the current generation will go into a world that we have no idea what it's going to look like in the future. And 12 years, oh gosh, I feel so old now. Like, no, let's say 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) 10 years ago when I started teaching, um, I started teaching in East London. And this was like before, like, you know, one-to-one devices, like, you know, and, and no one knew that that was kind of, well, I mean, like it happened in a couple of schools, but this school certainly didn't have one-to-one devices. However, it did have this amazing deputy head and she kind of got up in front of all our NQTs, um, like, you know, first year teachers. And she said, we're all neurosurgeons. And we were just like, no, we're not. We're teachers. (laughs) (laughs) And she, she, what she meant by that was, you know, we constantly like, I I teach secondary. Okay. So, so I teach from uh, 11 year olds to 18 year olds. In that time, the cognitive functions of your brain, like um, you, you're kind of like being essentially rewired to experience emotions, to experience kind of like um, how you live again, like, you know, because you're going through adolescence, but like, you know, you get many of the feelings, like, you know, the first for the first time. And that's when your brain is kind of more active, like a lot more active, which is why it's so important to like stay in education like when you're a teenager. It's why it's so exciting to be like, you know, in secondary education. Because essentially, 
the thing that makes me most delighted about teaching teenagers is that we are molding those brains for them to then tap into that knowledge when they're adults and find the solutions to themselves. And they're not even aware that they might be doing that. We know that we, they are. And when, when they get a skill, we can be so happy for them because we know that we, they're probably exactly. going to be using it later on. So yes, that is what makes me excited. Like We may not know what the future looks like, but we know that we're giving them the skills to overcome those issues and to provide those solutions to themselves. That's brilliant. And, and this leads us to the next question, which is about the challenges that you might have faced in your career. Was there any career low or a point where you felt like perhaps you wanted to give up? Um, and if so, how did you overcome it and what did you learn from it? So this is like super personal and um, <laughs> it's something that I don't often talk about. Like, and, and I guess it's important to talk about it because it shows that like, you know, other people can. And like I would 100% if I knew that someone went through what I went through, I would be mortified if that they couldn't come over and talk to me about it because I would always want to at least just listen because sometimes listening to someone's problem, like just kind of like lets them find their own solutions to kind of how, how to get it, how, how to kind of overcome. And um, so, yeah, um, three years ago-ish, I, oh no, it was longer than that actually. Um, so, so in a previous school, I, I had a manager that took an intense personal dislike to me. Um, and uh, I was a science teacher at the time. So it was difficult because like, I, I'd just um, gone into that new country. I just like was trying to make friends, trying to get, like, get my head around the school and stuff. Absolutely amazing school. But I just couldn't seem to get anything right with this manager. Um, it didn't matter what I did. Mm. Um, the level of scrutiny that she put me under. And this was bearing in mind, I wasn't a new teacher, but she treated me as if I was so inferior to her. Um, and it only seemed to be targeted on me. So I was like, my God, I'm doing something wrong. Like, what, what am I doing wrong? Um, and it, it took me, uh, I mean, the, the first term, as as you know, you know, is is the hardest term to be in. Like, it's a term where like you're learning everything from scratch if like you're a new teacher um into the school or or if you know you're you're learning how everything works so I was kind of thinking that wow like you know I I don't fit in like and and so on and in the end and like I got to the stage like one evening where I reached out to one of my new friends not knowing whether they would support me or not and and feeling so like like because I literally like had so much self-doubt I second-guessed absolutely every relationship I had with anyone <laughs> like, yeah. but but at that moment it was a turning point they're still one of my dearest friends so the way that I overcame that was just through reaching out and what I was like what I wish I could go back and tell myself at my lowest moment is that it's okay to reach out to people um, as long as you know, you have someone there. Uh, and what happened was it was a real turning point because they put me in contact with like the head teacher who I was a bit too scared to go to, to be frank, but they were lovely. And like, you know, they really got me through a very difficult year. Unfortunately, I had to leave that school because of, you know, personal like well-being and stuff. But the yeah. lessons I learned from that school, my God, it was amazing. Like it was like a very high achieving school, extremely motivated and had the most wonderful students. Like, so it was, you know, I've got many happy memories from there as well. So, yeah. Well, that's that's very true that you, you know, when you pointed out that it is vital to have that support network in, in any school or, or workplace in general. And 
And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that are willing and, and would be happy to help as long as you speak out and ask for assistance, just like you mentioned. The funny, uh, thing, the funny thing about teaching, though, is that I guess like it inherently comes from being forced or like, you know, subconsciously thinking like you're always a leader of that of the classroom. You've always got to be the one that's like calm and all of that kind of stuff. So you don't want to really show weakness. But that was like the worst thing for me to do because I literally just like, you know, hid myself away and and like the distasteful behaviors that they, they continued because they, they weren't Yeah, because because she just wasn't um she wasn't challenged in it. Um but as soon as I started speaking out, that's when like, you know, things changed because like I was actually able to kind of stand up and say, like, look, like what you're doing to me is wrong. But it takes kind of it took me, to be honest, getting over my pride <laughs> like, and saying, like, look, like, I've got a problem here. Like, I need other people to like, help me. Um, but as soon as I did that, like, it's changed the way that I look at my teaching community, like, forever. Because I, I, drew, yes. I drew strength from reaching out. So, Exactly. And, you know, I think we all have that pride in us. But, uh, you know, we do get to a point where we, you know, everyone does need uh, support and, and, and help mm-hmm. and you know, why not ask for it? But thank you so much, Linda, for sharing this with us. I know how personal it is to you. And thank you so much once again for, for sharing it. And on to a more positive note, what about your career high? I'm sure you have many, <laughs> but is there one that you feel, you know, beats the others or or one that's uh, more dear to your heart than, than others? I guess like it's, it's a really easy thing to like pick out because like it's, it, it was basically like developing there is digital environment and, and we won an award for it. So our team, like, you know, of, of digital like leaders and, and my line manager and myself, like managed to like uh, win, win the award for digital transformation because of the, the work that we did like with, with their international schools. That was definitely a high point. Um, and I guess I, sh- I probably shouldn't have led with, oh, we won an award because that wasn't actually what made me proud of like, you know, the, the, of the work that we had to, like that we did like all together it was more the fact that like every time I walked into a classroom you know like pre-covid everyone was using the environment consistently and this was pre-covid like so so we were fortunate enough to start our digital transformation like probably about Earlier. nine months before yeah like um, and like so by the time we actually got to covid like it absolutely exploded and like you know just the, um, the the adaptability of our teachers and using that environment to kind of like actually uh, actually teach like online put us in a really strong position and gave the teachers confidence to carry on actually teaching. Um, so that was definitely a career high. Um, I mean, I know I'm, I'm very aware also that like last year was extraordinarily difficult for a lot of people. I'm not trying to downplay that, but it was definitely something that like you know I'll probably look back on years to come and just be like, you know what, I. I contributed to that year. Like I gave something effective for that year and I helped people. So yeah, brilliant. that's my career high. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And congratulations on, on the award as well. And, and do you have any funny stories or perhaps a funny incident that you might have <laughs> encountered uh, in your career? Being a science teacher. <laughs> like, being a science teacher, I guess like all the scientists now are like, you know, they know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you you come <laughs> to like so many like one liners that like, you know, the year eights come to or the year nines come to or like, our <laughs> sixth form comes to and then like, you just like, Wow, okay. <laughs> like, you actually came out with that. Um so I won't share one of them because they're a little bit not safe for work. <laughs> but, <laughs> 
But um, the, the one that I would like to share with you actually is that like it's, it was a one in a million chance. But this one in a million chance happened twice to me, and it was incredible. Like it was really? basically, yeah. Like and you know, you think like okay, there's eight million, there's eight billion people in the world. Is that right? Check me that. I think yeah, yeah. I, I, so maybe, like eight. Yeah. maybe eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people in the world. So like you know, as an international teacher unfortunately like it's just the way the job goes like you know once you leave a country once you leave a school you wouldn't ever expect to actually physically see those teachers or those students in your life again so so I left London knowing full well that my East London girls I used to work in a girls school like and I used to like head the um, the science club and they were so enthusiastic about science it was so cute <laughs> <laughs> but I left them as like you know year seven year eight so they were like quite young and they gave me a little shoebox. And in that shoebox, it was a first aid kit for Qatar. And they gave me like, it, it made me cry at the time, but like wow. they gave me all these little like English goodies, like just in case I got homesick. And oh, they signed really? a little note and they put it all in and stuff. So I had all their names. But I knew That's for a while that like, yeah, like, you know, four years later, I went back with my Kuwaiti friend, you know, the, the friend from earlier that like helped me through all that tough time. So we were just like, hey, let's go to Manchester. You live in Scotland. I live in the Midlands. Let's meet up halfway in Manchester. So we went to Manchester. It was cold. <laughs> like, it was so cold <laughs> compared to here. But, like, we were, like, walking down the street. And I suddenly hear, like, this, this, this <laughs> behind me. And I was like, is that me? Like, what, what's going on? Like, because I have never gone to Manchester before. And there was this, like, random woman, like, running towards me. <laughs> And I was like, got closer. She was like, Miss Parsons. And I was like, you know me? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he was like, Miss Parsons, it's, it's me. Like, and she said her name. And I was like, oh my God, the last time I saw you, like, was you were in year eight. And now, like, you're like first year university. And it turns out wow. she followed her dream. Yeah. You know, like, what are the chances? She lived in East London. I'd gone to like Qatar and Kuwait and stuff, came back. And we just happened to be in the same street at the same time. Um, and she was studying first year pharmaceutical research like pharmaceutical science and she's just now because you know it's been like it was a good long time since we were in contact so I kind of kept her contact details and um, she messaged me I think it was last year saying that she's now got a master's in pharmaceutical science oh that's was, amazing like, yeah like it was it was really random but the thing is the next year literally the next year because I, I was like in between Q8 and uh, the UAE like the Dubai school that I'm in at the moment the next year, the same thing happened again. <laughs> and like, you know, as well as I do, like how many schools there are in Dubai? How many previous oh, exactly. schools are in Dubai, right? How many students many. like come in to the, yeah? How many parents go and so on and so forth? So I was like stood at summer science lab, like saying hello to my year nine class. And miss, oh my God, miss, it's you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I actually don't recognize you this time. <laughs> and she was just like, oh, like I'm from Kuwait. Like I'm, I'm from, um, she wasn't even one of my students. I, I think I covered her class a couple of times. And, and because I guess, I don't oh, know, wow. like she just remembered me for some reason, like, you know, um, and she was in year eight. So like she'd actually come into the school, my school now in year 10. And I had the pleasure of teaching her like for, for year 11. And it was year 11 biology. Now she wants to become a doctor. So she's an IB1. And like, you wow, know, every that's... time we go past each other, it's just like, oh, I remember like all these teachers from Q8. <laughs> it's really, yeah, she's lovely. <laughs> like, I mean, Wow, that's that's incredible. I mean, what a wonderful coincidence. Surely it doesn't yes. really happen uh, too often. And for that to happen uh, on two occasions is, is pretty incredible. I know. I mean, like, right? Like, and it's just, 
there's just an incomprehensible amount of people, an incomprehensible amount of like factors, especially for the first felt, one. Yeah, exactly. It must have felt wonderful, really, seeing you know, especially like you said, for the first one, graduates, and I know you said you met you taught her at at year eight, so just seeing that transformation and and keeping in touch with her uh, after mm-hmm. meeting her as well is is really important and must feel you know wonderful. Our next question, uh, if you weren't an educator, what career would you choose if you could really do anything? Ah, so this one's easy. Uh, I would have been, or I would be, I guess, a Royal Naval fighter pilot. Uh, oh, and really? legitimately, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> like it's so wow. kind of different, right? <laughs> like when, when I went into secondary school, like, you know, like they do the, all those career fairs. So like, uh, um, so I was quite near to like the NEC in Birmingham. So they made like they kitted it all out, and like, there were like loads of like you know, join the NHS or like join the, you know, all these like it, like I don't know like banking institutions and stuff. And I was like, this is so boring. Like I don't want to do any of this. Like, and then like, I still remember it. It's ridiculous. Like because I mean like I guess like there's one of those formative moments of like my early childhood. <laughs> like I looked at, like well, my early teenage years. I looked across and I saw this like Royal Navy stand, and I was like, oh that was kind of cool. Like that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, and I started talking to them a bit more and I was like, well, I want to go to university. So they would have said, okay, like, you know, you, you can go in like as an officer after university. So I started like, I joined Sea Cadets. I had a brilliant time like, when I was a kid, like in, in Sea Cadets. But I, yeah, like I, I followed it through um, and decided to become a warfare officer. Um, then I decided to kind of specialize and become a, a pilot. Then I was like, no, oh, I wow. want to be the fighter pilot. So like, I want to, I want to do that. So I did all of the medicals. I did all of the aptitude tests, all of the, you know, the fitness tests and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I was like <laughs> super, like, you know, going to go into it. I had no inclination of going into a scientific role. But then like, you know, like a ton of bricks, I guess, in my third year of uni, I was like, oh, I kind of like law because my my um, <laughs> my undergraduate is, is um, biology with forensics and the forensic side of it, like you have to do like quite a lot of law work. So I kind of like law. And my dad was like, you've got to make a decision. Come on. Like, you know. <laughs> so um, I decided to kind of go in because there was a little gap because um, at the time, the naval officer um, intake was for the next year. So I had to take gap year. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go to law school and get a law conversion degree. But within that time, like I decided that neither law nor being a naval officer was right for me. So that's how I became a science teacher. Interesting. That's that's really amazing. I, I would have never guessed. Was there anyone in, in your family that was in the Navy or, or a pilot or, or was it just no. purely based I mean, on the career fair that you uh, you attended and, and then obviously researching it? I don't even remember who I spoke to, but they did such a good job because <laughs> they like, changed my trajectory for the rest of my life, you know, for potentially. Because if I, if I didn't go into, um, if I didn't want to go into a naval officer, become a naval officer, I wouldn't have like, I wouldn't have done my gap year as being um, as doing my law conversion, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have got into teaching because, like, it was it was my essay writing. Exactly. And being being a law graduate that got me in. Scientists are not known for how well they write essays. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, um, if I hadn't done all of those things, so nothing was wasted. But yeah, it's interesting. Exactly. I mean, God rest his soul. Like my my grandfather was um, he served in World War Two, but I didn't know him. Like he died before I I was born. Mm. But um, that's it. You know, there's not any particular military background. I just thought it was a good thing to go into. That's that's very interesting. And what about, uh, you know, this leads us to, to another question that we could kind of tie up to what we just mm-hmm. discussed. Is there any 
one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? I'd love to say something like, I'll be more decisive and follow your heart and stuff. But like, I know realistically that actually, for me, knowing that as my younger self, it wouldn't have helped at all. So I guess the thing that I would say to my younger self that would actually help her is you don't need to reinvent the wheel. In order to be innovative and in order to like really grow in yourself, you don't need to make something completely from scratch. So you can grow and you can like use something new that's new to yourself. Or I guess like putting it in teaching, like new to your class or a new way of learning um, or a new way of doing something. But that's new to you. It's not necessarily like it, like 8 billion people remember. Like, you know, someone else would have done it. But you can like use them as inspiration and not have to kill yourself trying to make something completely new. And I wish I knew that when I was, I wish I really took that heed when I was in like PGCE. And I was like, my first lesson was an hour long and I spent nine hours preparing for it. Because I was like oh, making wow. literally everything from scratch, and I was just like, all those wasted hours where I couldn't spend sleeping and actually like you know <laughs> having <laughs> like not being stressed. But no, I guess you live and learn. So this is a great piece of advice. Thank you for sharing it with us. Our final question for the for the session, which is a little bit more serious again, where do you see the future of education, and what do you personally hope for in the future? I really hope, and I, I hope this is not just something that is a wish list. I really genuinely hope the future of assessment changes because in the last like seven years or so, or in the last 10 years since I've been teaching, I've seen educational technology transform from just being a teacher using a PowerPoint on a board that could be interactive, but not really using it that well, <laughs> to like mm. to, to kind of one-to-one devices to even more than that now, to kind of like immersive, like, you know, immersive experiences. And, and the way that we change teaching means that the learning experience and, and the way that we digest knowledge and stuff, like even as adults, like, you know, the way that I find knowledge and I interact with the world as, a, as an adult, as a teacher, is so different to 10 years ago. And it translates that, like, you know, the way that we are educating our children is incredibly different now, but that doesn't seem to have translated into assessment which is now like, which is still kind of for the majority of the exam boards and the majority of the ways that we, you know, examine students in the proper way. Like, you know, people keep telling me it's the meaningful way. It's like 50 years old. And and the only, Mm -hmm. the only way that like, you know, they've used technology to benefit assessment is by making like, you know, all the exam papers where it says don't, don't write in the margins. Well, they tell people not to write in those margins because they scan the documents in. So they're making the examiner's life easier, but essentially it's still a pen to paper, assessed, timed, written, like with, with a pen and, and exactly. so on, like assessment. And it's just like, is that actually realistic now? And, and why haven't we done something to kind of pull those into the 21st century? Because you're, you're assessing a child with like a, the, <laughs> the, the smallest percentage of like, you know, knowledge and skills as well. Um, which is insane because I mean like um, the number of times we've I've spoken to SLT members about this like in my school and outside of the school where I just say yeah that's great I understand exactly where you're coming from however like you know because we're using OneNote and whatever I understand exactly where you're coming from with OneNote I understand it's efficient and like you know the, the children can access it and it's inclusive because it can talk back to you and it can help them with the literacy but but essentially at the end of year 11 they still need to write and it's like it's fine that's writing is extremely important <laughs> but mm. it doesn't mean that that's now a realistic way of assessing 
students like by one mod like by one complete summative assessment right at the end with like the block of learning that you need to a kind of more formative approach i guess that kind of like holistically takes like what this child has done over the last like two years five years whatever to create a profile i don't know that might be the way that it track assessment can transform but i hope that changes in the future of education because it's it hamstrings learning by keeping the key thing like the key goal that everyone wants to go get through is their gcses or their ib and if that assessment that end of year assessment is still old-fashioned is there actually any point in transforming teaching and learning well thank you so much linda for your time it's always an absolute pleasure chatting with you and we look forward to doing so again in the near future until then please take care and stay safe thank you so much thank you so much for having me on like it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and um it's it's not very often that actually like you know i get to talk about things that are beyond ed tech so it was a lovely experience likewise thank you linda we look forward to uh chatting with you again soon okay bye take care thank you bye bye Thanks for joining this week's guest cast. Make sure you visit our website, guesteducation.com, the essential resource for educators to subscribe to the podcast and to enjoy the latest education news.